0: more days, and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. So let's start about this conversation with the heart of the people of Nineveh. What an amazing chapter. How amazing is, is this? Jonah preached the world's shortest sermon. Five words in Hebrew. Forty more days, Nineveh's gone. That's what it says in Hebrew. Short, to the point, and, and, and yet with that short of a sermon, the entire city, one of the largest cities on earth, changed their ways. Felt the conviction of, of God's wrath. I mean, it is, let's call it for what it is. God, God was angry with Nineveh. Angry but loved them. You can do both. Wanted this, sent Jonah because he loved them, angry with them, he was ready to destroy the city. Um, you, you, you would think they would throw the guy out. This is the, this is the definition of street-preaching crackpot. <laughs> the end is coming, right? That's exactly what this guy has. The end is coming, uh, a five-word sermon, and, but it was from God, and, and they believed him. There were some powerful truths... <laughs> Clearly from God, not because of Jonah, that came to light, and I and I and I think there are some truths that come out of this. The first one I would say, man, never underestimate the power of biblical preaching. It is not the same thing as public speaking. Sometimes I get complimented that I'm 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 a good speaker. I'm not. I'm not a good. I'm certainly not good at public speaking. Uh, I hate it. I find it stressful. I didn't do well at all in high school or college, college in particular with speech classes. I was miserable at speech. I froze up. I don't like it. This, this isn't a speech. Okay. My, my goal is not to entertain. My goal isn't even to convince. My goal is to preach the word of God. The word of God may change hearts. The word of God may convince. But that's between you and God. My goal is just to communicate the word of God, not change minds. We believe that the preaching of God's word is a powerful thing. That there's nothing like it. The people of Nineveh heard a five-word sermon and they got, they got it. Because preaching is powerful when it's biblical. So first, never underestimate the power of, of, of biblical preaching. Second thing, never underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit. Now I know, I know, the, the, this passage doesn't mention specifically the Holy Spirit. Uh, But you cannot convince me that a city full of wicked people changed on a dime, changed on five words, maybe that's changed on a nickel, (laughs) changed in an instant, and the Holy Spirit wasn't involved. You cannot convince me of that. The Holy Spirit can take the worst of sinners and change them. Moses was a, was a murderer who'd been hiding out in the desert for 40 years, and the Spirit of God changed him. Paul was a bounty hunter named Saul, and the Spirit changed him. Uh, you and I and Nineveh. Nineveh changed, and that's the work of God in their lives. If Nineveh changed, it was not because of their own efforts... We know that that's not how this works. It was because God worked in them. And, and, and in working in them, they listened. They didn't resist. The Holy Spirit is, is one of the reasons why preaching isn't public speaking. Because the Holy Spirit works. Third thing I would say. Never underestimate the desperation of the sinful. I think Nineveh, Wanted this. I think that they were desperate. I think that I think oftentimes sinners are sick to death of being sinners. They know that something is wrong and they want a way out, and they don't know what that way out is. Uh, they hate being lost to sin. You know, we can say, well, Jason, why don't why don't they leave their sin behind? I don't this doesn't come intuitively. <laughs> It, knowing that you want out of a bad situation but not knowing how to get into a good situation that, wanting out of a bad situation isn't enough drug addicts don't want to be drug addicts but that doesn't mean they know how to not how to get away from that that's why we have rehab centers and, and, and programs to help people because we can't most people can't do it on their own and in the case of sin we know that we can't. if we could do it on our own Jesus didn't have to die for us so we need, all sinners need to be shown the way, and that's what Jonah was, was doing. The people of Nineveh knew they couldn't stay where they were at, but I don't think they knew how to get out. Nineveh saw in Jonah's message that this was the way out that they'd been looking for, I believe, and, and they jumped at it. <laughs> Despite Jonah's little bitter message, he didn't want to go. We will see in chapter 4 he still didn't want to go. Despite that, they heard, they accepted, they repented. One of the things I think about the message of repentance that just amazes me, they repented, they put on sackcloth, they fasted, made their animals fast, that amazes me, and, and with no guarantee that this would save them. As far as they were concerned, 40 days and they still were dead, and they did this anyway, with, with no guarantee that this would change God's mind. God works through Jonah's bitterness, and his short message. In fact, I, I, I have to believe that I think it was my father that said that there may be a tone that we're missing here. in <laughs> for, 40 more days, for, 40 days, uh, what, what was the short, the Hebrew version of it? Um, 40 more days, Nineveh's gone. There's got to be this part of Jonah that's rooting for that, that this is said with gloating, um, that, that, that there's this yes after, after he preaches that short message. And yet, despite his bitterness and, and, and the shortness of his message, Nineveh accepted the, the message of God. They were eager to accept it. And, and this is important, Un, frankly, unlike Israel. Meanwhile, back in Israel, God's constantly sending prophets because the people keep turning to false gods. They, they, they know the truth. Moses brought them out of Egypt Joshua led them into the promised land. They had godly kings like David and, and, and other godly kings. They had all these prophets. They had judges before the kings. And despite all of that, having the ark, having the word of God up to that point, the law, they kept turning to false gods, which is amazing. And so, I'm. And a five word message never worked with Israel. There's never a point that a prophet gave them five words and they did clean up their lives. In fact, they just kept falling back into sin. And so I'm kind of reminded this important truth that I found in my life. It is easier to share the gospel with a non-Christian than it is to get Christians who've walked away to come back. And that's because whatever reason, the the gospel's not changing. There's not a version 2.0 at some point, people that know the truth and walk away, I don't have anything to convince them to come back. They walked away because this wasn't for whatever reason enough. And it's not like things have changed. It's not like, oh, come back. We've added something to the new, we've added a couple new books to the New Testament. You'll like the new version. People that walk away from the gospel, there's nothing, there's no, there's really very little convincing them to come back, until they admit that They were wrong to walk away. There's nothing to convince them to come back. But there are people out there that have never accepted the gospel who are looking for that way out of sin and damnation, and they just need somebody to share it with them. Israel knew who God was, and they kept rejecting Him. Nineveh didn't know, and the minute they heard, that was good for them. Um, Today, we can bring non-Christians to Christ... And and frankly, I find that generally easier than bringing Christians who've gotten bored, frustrated, whatever, and left. I find them very difficult to bring back into the church. But non-Christians who've never experienced it, this may be what they've always been looking for. You know, we can say, you know, Jason, we've had a lot of people leave the church. Why aren't we chasing after them? They, They know where we are. They know what we teach. They left for a reason. Um... Getting them to come back, a lot of times, is a lot of effort. That doesn't mean that I'm not saying that we don't put effort into that. But for that same amount of effort that somebody left the church out of frustration for whatever, that amount of effort could, make, could, could bring in probably even more people that have never had the chance to experience the church and the gospel. And that, that's been my experience in, in preaching. For, for those that leave, that's on them. For those that don't know, that's on us. so, So that's what I'm going to say about the heart of Nineveh. But it continues, and I think that chapter four is so essential. So let's look at chapter four, because this is, I think this just ties the whole book together. But Jonah was greatly displeased, and he became angry he prayed to the Lord, oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, oh Lord, take away my life for it's better for me to die than to live. I mean, if this is not a If this is not a staple hand-to-forehead moment, I don't know what is. God, I can't believe you saved them. I wish I was dead. But the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. And there he made himself a shelter, and he sat in the shade, and he waited to see what would happen to the city, because he's still hoping for fire and lightning. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the vine so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you have, any, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? Oh, I do, he said. I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, You've been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight, and it died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. And many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? And the book ends there. What an ending. You know what Jonah reminds me of? Jonah reminds me of, of the apostles, Peter and James and John. James and John were these, they were called the Sons of Thunder. These were the guys that they went to a village, they, they told the people about Jesus, they got run out of town, and they said to Jesus, we should destroy this village. <laughs> these are the disciples of Jesus. <laughs> sons of Thunder, they were so angry, we need to kill all these people off. How dare they reject your message, Jesus? Your message of love and, and grace. <laughs> Peter, uh, who, Peter who says, uh, I would rather die than... than then, then abandon you, Jesus, and cuts off a guy's ear to prove it, not 12 hours later says, I've never heard of that guy. What are you talking about? Uh, the, these are some pretty passionate people that Jesus got to follow him. I like these guys. And one of the reasons I like these guys is Peter and James and John in particular really learned what it meant to suffer on behalf of Christ. God takes these I don't know what, would, what you would call these guys. I'm going to use the word boneheads and hope that's not too offensive. Takes, takes these guys and transforms them into the early church leaders um, that bring words of encouragement and maturity to the church. And I think Jonah undergoes the same transformation. Why do I think that? Because nobody else knew what he prayed in the belly of the fish. Nobody else knew what happened in chapter 4 except Jonah. So the only way that we're reading these words is that Jonah went back home and was willing to share and write them down all these things that clearly don't put him in a good light. And the only reason he would do that is he wants for us to learn from what he learned. That's the only explanation I have because obviously we would have no idea what he prayed in the fish if he didn't tell us and it doesn't make him look good. So I, th- I do think that Jonah learned his lesson, and I think that's why it ends where it does. I think it's obvious. Jonah wrote this so that you and I can learn from his mistakes. No, not mistakes. His bad attitude. His sin. Jonah resents God's grace. He loved it in his life. Thank you for the fish that saved me. Thank you for the vine that gives me shade. But he didn't want grace in other people's lives. Probably like most of Israel felt at that time. They were the enemy. God, you can't save the Assyrians. They hate us. They're the enemy. What Jonah should have been saying is, this is a miraculous vine. Even if I only had it for a day. God, thank you for the vine. I didn't deserve this. God is good. Wow, what a miraculous thing you did for Nineveh. Thank you for saving them. They didn't deserve it, but you are a good God. But instead, Jonah inwardly burns with anger and resentment towards God. Just different lenses with what he viewed his life compared to anybody else's. Uh, God sees a people in need of saving. Children made in his image, separated from him by sin. Jonah just sees the enemy that need to be destroyed at any cost. I had a professor... One of my favorite professors in college pointed out that that the fish is God's grace. In fact, the professor said the name of the fish is grace. The fish saved... He didn't deserve it, but the fish saved Jonah grace. The vine, that the vine is grace. Didn't deserve the vine, but God gave it, and the vine is grace. And then in Nineveh, we see God's grace again. But counteractive to that is the worm that gnaws away at God's grace, the vine... And Jonah is the worm, gnawing away at God's grace, trying to get rid of it. I wonder if we struggle with this. Do we resent God for his love? Oh, God, you can't save them. God, I've followed you for years. I've lived a good life. That person doesn't belong in church. They're a, they're a jerk. How, how, they, they shouldn't have access to, to you. You can't offer them salvation. Do you know what that person did to me? That guy's worse than Nineveh. I, we need to be honest with ourselves. As Jonah, I think, came to be, can we admit where we struggle with God's grace? Because I think that Jonah's a little bit relatable. I think that there are times that we don't want God's grace in other people's lives, just our own. Uh, maybe, maybe we resent his grace at times. And, and, and I think that it's healthy to admit that we need to see the world as God sees it, and sometimes we struggle with that. So, okay, well, so uh, we've talked about the heart of Nineveh, We talked about the heart of Jonah, but I think it's essential that we talk about the heart of God. I had a friend whose wife cheated on him. And he forgave her. But what reminds, what I'm remembering from that incident so much, what stands out, is that I had another friend that got mad at him. How dare you forgive your wife? Do you know what she did to you? Do you, you shouldn't forgive. And I remember... And, and this guy forgave his wife because of the book of Hosea. He read through the Bible and said Hosea forgave his... Cheating wife, she was repentant, and he took her back, and i can I can do the same. that's what God is calling me to do. And then again, I had this other friend that was just so mad at him for forgiving his wife and and I boy, that feels it, it was his wife to forgive, and it feels like this here. Jonah was mad that God forgave Nineveh, but it was his city to forgive. It wasn't Jonah's. the whole world is his to forgive. We can look at the heart of Nineveh and look at the heart of Jonah, but it's God's heart that matters. To understand God, we have to get that he loves, loves everybody. And, and since we don't, I think that sometimes that feels incomprehensible to us. Um, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 Love is who God is. It's his identity. He is the source of love. He is the greatest love. But there's also more to it than just that. That that is only half the message. 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Paul says, I urge then, first of all, that all requests and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings be made for everyone for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men, this is so important, he wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. God wants all people to be saved. Everybody. God didn't just love Israel. He loved Nineveh as well. And he loves us and everybody today. Unless Paul is lying to us, God wants to save everybody. But not everybody is saved. That is a very clear biblical message. Now, we've got two options then. Either God is not capable of fulfilling, what, of doing what he wants to do. Either he is not completely in control and not completely able to, to, he's not all powerful. That's option one. He wants people to save, but he doesn't know how to do it or can't do it. Or option two, what he wants, he doesn't do because of a limit that he puts on it he what he wants he you know i want to eat ice cream every day it's not healthy for me at all so just because i want it doesn't so i put restrictions on myself and i don't i don't frankly i hardly eat ice cream anymore because it's got too much sugar but but i would love to do that right so we we discipline ourselves we don't allow ourselves to do what just we because what we want isn't isn't enough Look with me at Matthew chapter 22. And I don't want to read the whole passage. We know the parable of, of Matthew 22. There's a guy, he throws a wedding banquet, he sends out invitations, not everybody shows up, in fact most of his guests don't show up, so he says just start inviting everybody on the street. Just grab random people and bring them in. Um, but we know from ancient culture, when you see this in the book of Judges, we see it here, that not, I mean, you, it wasn't a come as you are party, and that if you didn't have fine clothes, that that the host would give you clothes so that you could be dressed appropriately. Uh, that was part of the culture back then. And, and so we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 22, verse 11. Jesus is, is this parable. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, "How did you get in here without wedding clothes?" And the man was speechless. And then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are invited, but few are chosen. So footnotes, of if you have an NIV Bible, your footnotes will point out that sometimes the word many means all. And in this case, that is true. Um, Both in uh, in, in some Hebrew literature, the context it was written in, uh, Greek writing. Um, In this case, everybody's, we've already read what Paul said, everybody's invited. Everybody is invited to follow God. Everybody is invited to go to heaven, to be with God. But not everybody's going to make it. So what's the difference? And I think that this parable of the the king and the wedding banquet are, are, are essential to understanding this. We come to God on his terms. You can come to the wedding banquet, And if you don't have the clothes, and none of us are perfect, that's okay. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He perfects us. He helps us to become holy and righteous and follow God on his terms. But we don't get to ignore that. We don't get to say, I'm going to do it my way. All are invited. Not all are chosen. So there's a difference between being invited and being chosen. What's the difference? Because there clearly is one. Uh, All are invited. The chosen Dress appropriately, and for the Christian life, that means we're trying. We're not perfect, but we're trying to be holy. We're trying to be righteous. We we confess our sin, and and when we sin, because we're all imperfect, we acknowledge this was sin. God, I got it wrong this time. I'll help me by your Spirit do better next time. Um, clothe yourselves with godliness, not because it earns salvation. Everybody is invited. You can't earn the invitation. It's already been given. Everybody is invited. But the chosen are the ones who then try to follow Christ. You can't call yourself a Christian and not follow Christ. Followers of Christ follow Christ. And so it's so basic, but we try to redefine that. Um, Following Christ has some level of obedience. No, we're not perfect, but we put some effort into it knowing that our effort isn't enough and we need the Holy Spirit to help us do it more. It's about understanding, knowing the heart of God and getting rid of our own heart. We need his heart in us. Look at King David, who is a complete screw-up in the Old Testament, and yet was a man after God's own heart. I haven't done half the sins that David has. But he didn't want to keep his heart. And what makes David so amazing is, yeah, there was a lot of sin in his life, But there was an awful lot of passion about wanting to draw closer to God despite his sin. And so that's why he's such a great example in the Bible. The Bible doesn't hold up perfect men and say, be like these perfect men. It holds up imperfect people like David and says, be like David. He may have messed up, but he keeps getting up and he keeps trying again and he keeps looking for God. And that I can relate to because I keep messing up. And I don't need to try to follow somebody that's perfect that I can't relate to. I want to see the example of people that aren't perfect that kept trying to follow God. And that's why the Bible is so amazing to me. It's full of people like that. God has a heart for the needy and the hurting and the lost. I'm a selfish, self-centered jerk. Left to my own devices, I'm doomed, but God offers me His Holy Spirit and I can be a new person. I can learn to love as God loves, to live as God wants me to live. And the Spirit calls me to do that. Or I can tune out the Spirit and reject Him. I have been invited, but the decision to follow God is up to me. Will I do it? Uh, John chapter 14, verse 6 reminds us that it is only through Jesus that we can be saved. He is the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him. That's, that's the gospel message, and that's the call. Our hymn of invitation today, hymn number 335, So Nineveh had a revival. I also maybe want to phrase it that I'm not sure they had a renewal. The sequel to the book of Jonah is the book of Nahum. And in the book of Nahum, it is God's next prophecy to them. You're going to be destroyed, and they are. Sometimes we do feel sorry for doing wrong things. Sometimes, however, when we don't see the consequences, we might bounce back. The people that know, you know, January 1st, they join the gym, they exercise for a couple of days, I haven't lost 20 pounds, I guess I'll quit. A lot of people are like that in their own spiritual lives. You know, I'll read the Bible for a couple of days, I haven't seen any noticeable difference in my life, I guess it doesn't work, I'll do what I was doing. Jonah's message of repentance does not actually, again, it doesn't carry the message of restoration. There's no message of, if you do this, you will be saved. God did delay their destruction because of their repentance. That wasn't part of Jonah's message, but he did offer them that, but God did offer them that delay. But for us, there is the message of restoration. Give up your sin, follow Christ, you will be saved. Jonah didn't give them that you will be saved. He just said you're going to be destroyed. God's message to us is, if you follow me, you will be saved. That's the message still for us today. If you haven't accepted Christ as Savior. You can be saved. Let's talk about what that looks like. Thank you for listening. You can contact us at our website, firstchurchofchristelkins.com, where you can also find out more. Have a nice week.